October 2009, Berlin, Germany. I am on the brief U-Bahn trip from my home in quiet Schöneberg to the busy tourist haunt Kurfürstendamm. Both were inside walled West Berlin. I come up from the underground station to a sunny afternoon. I am on my way to the Irish pub in the underground area of the Europa Centre to meet three Irish people who, like me, have made Berlin their home. They are estate agent Anne Riney, musician Hugh McBrien, and pub owner Paddy Scanlon, who was co-founder of the Irish pub. I am bringing them together for the first time, despite their decades of life shared in West Berlin. All three have lived here since before the fall of the wall. Indeed, all three have their pieces of that wall. I went down the day after the wall um, opened with a hammer and hammered a few chunks out for myself and um, it was very strange because there was an East German soldier right above my head standing on the wall um, with his weapons and um, it was all so new and unexpected and they were still guarding the wall that people from West Berlin were making holes in. There were holes in the wall at this stage so that you could look through. Um, I managed to get a few chunks for myself and then a West Berliner policeman came along and took my hammer and told me I can collect it at the police station. There was also an Italian there at the same time with an electric hammer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the next day an Irish guy called around to me in the afternoon and we went down with a little hammer and did the same. <laughs> but uh, as, as Andrew said, we were stopped by the West Berlin police and uh, told just to... Leave the wall alone. To leave the wall alone. You're, <laughs> you're not allowed to damage the wall. But by this time we already had a few nice chunks, a few nice coloured chunks taken out. And we kept sticking our heads in between the wall and looking over at the East German guards and they kept putting, poking their heads in and looking at us. And Yeah, just uh, and the wall just diminished and finally disappeared. We literally lived through history. And uh, I chopped a bit out of the wall and I also got a lot of pieces, people bringing them into me here in the pub, you know. But we actually lived through a, 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 what you'd call a phase in history. That's history it's, live. Yeah, yeah, it's really history yeah. live. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's going to repeat itself ever again. Yeah. Great to look back on. Yeah. I had a great feeling at the time to have been in the right place at the right time, yeah. say, to experience yeah. it uh, live was amazing. Because having lived in West Berlin before, none of us would ever have expected the wall to come down when we were here. I mean... None of the West Germans would have expected, and the East Germans certainly not either. The national anthem of what was the East German Soviet state starts with the lines, rising from the ruins, facing the future. Little did they know. So here's a brief history of the wall. While the Western Allies really did set about helping their slice of Germany rise from the ruins, the Soviet Union turned its eastern slice of Germany into the puppet state called the DDR, the German Democratic Republic. There was a snag in this. The destroyed capital Berlin, far into the east of the country, had been divided between the Allies after the war. This meant that the western half of the capital city of the DDR was run by the Allies. There had always been a steady flow of people from the DDR walking over to West Berlin and using that as their way to a new life in the free West. 
This flow grew to a hemorrhage after the Soviets crushed worker demonstrations in June 1953. It's reckoned that three and a half million people, a fifth of its population, left the DDR. In the first six months of 1961 alone, 100,000 people fled from east to west. The DDR's leader, Walter Ulbricht, decided enough was enough. Shortly after midnight on Sunday, August 13, 1961, the border between Berlin East and West was sealed off and work began on isolating West Berlin. The wall that encircled West Berlin was over 150 kilometres long, almost 100 miles. The final version of the wall consisted of 45,000 12-foot-high, 4-foot-wide concrete slabs facing the west. Behind that were the minefields and watchtowers of the so-called Death Strip and a lower wall facing the east. The wall cut through streets, even through the facades of buildings. Overnight, it divided families and destroyed livelihoods. Inside the Death Strip, by the way, an unintended nature reserve was created where rabbits were free from predators and bred like, well, rabbits. The Berlin Wall would remain for 28 years. Anne Reini, who moved to Berlin in 1978, recalls my favourite idiosyncrasy about the East-West divide. It had a ghostly presence in the daily life of both sides. Um, because of the way the wall um, was built and Berlin was divided, there was a part of East Berlin um, that kind of jutted into what would be West Berlin, so that when you went from the south to the north, say from um, Neukölln or Kreuzberg to Wedding with the underground, yeah? There was one underground uh, line where you would get on in a very brightly lit train station and it would go on like that for a while and then suddenly, like going into a time warp, um, you would suddenly come into stations that were very dimly lit, that looked like um, Second World War with the old German lettering and East German soldiers standing on the platforms. Um, this went on for, I'd say, about seven or eight stations. Um, it was very strange because the, the East German soldiers would uh, stand on the platform and um, a lot of them would stand very straight and poker-faced and pretend they didn't notice that a brightly lit train full of West Berliners was uh, passing through. Um, others would make eye contact and... Um, Communicate. We used to uh, get a great laugh out of trunk chocolate. You could prize the doors of the underground open at that time. This is something you can't do anymore. Um, and we used to throw chocolate out to the East German soldiers or blow kisses at them. Some of them, you'd get a laugh out of. Some of them would stay completely rigid, like the beef eaters in London. <laughs> but it was a funny experience. Um, then after these few stations had passed you'd suddenly come out again into your normal brightly lit West Berliner uh, station it was a very strange experience So what would bring people from the island of Ireland to live in an island city? As Paddy Scanlon remembers West Berlin had its many attractions 
I worked in the Bush radio and television, nobody means anything to you. And uh, I, I, um, I thought, you know, it's going back, you know, it was the, the early, very early 70s. I thought, where am I going, you know what I mean? The guys were looking at my job, you know, and I was kind of looking at them saying, well, there isn't much above this, you know. <laughs> so um, I decided I'd come to Germany anyway, so I packed... I had been doing German actually in the Goethe Institute. Yeah. So I packed the wife and a few things into the back of the car and off we went. So I landed here in, in Berlin. And uh, I've been here for the, since 19, 1973. And in 75, we opened up our first pub. It was supposed to be uh, as a sideline. So we opened up the first Irish pub and uh, it took off. And I realized that this is a little more than just a hobby. So I packed in my job in Siemens and I took over the running of the pub and from there it went on and at one stage we had six Irish pubs and I tried to staff them all generally, with, mainly with Irish staff. Um, I came to uh, West Germany first as a student to work for the summer um and intended to go back to Dublin, to Trinity College afterwards. Um, towards the end of the summer, I decided to um, have a go at skiing before I, I go back, um, because we never have any snow in Ireland. <laughs> and I fractured my um, shin bone almost immediately after two minutes on skis. There were three-year-old children going past me. I took a half an hour to get skis on, two minutes to break my leg. <laughs> So, um, seeing as I couldn't go back on time, I decided to go and um, have a look at Berlin and never looked back, basically. I liked Berlin from, from the first moment I got here. And was, you were saying Kreuzberg, you lived in... I lived in Kreuzberg at that time, which was um, in the southeast of Berlin and basically up against the wall. Um, it was a great time to live in Berlin and to live in Kreuzberg. It was very exciting. A lot of young people, most of the young people living in Berlin at that time would be um, would have been West Germans who um, came to Berlin to escape being drafted into the German army. There was no German army allowed in Berlin because it was an occupied city. Uh, the only armies allowed here were the Allies and um, a lot of young people from West Germany who didn't agree with being drafted into the army, came to live in Berlin and um, it was a great city at the time, lots of exciting nightlife and you weren't always aware of the wall unless you were maybe standing right beside it, they did have kind of wooden platforms, um, you'd see a big sign, you're now leaving the American sector um, and then you would see the wall and then on this side of the wall there would be um, a wooden platform that you could go up steps and actually look over the wall at the minefield behind it and well between the wall and the other side there was a minefield in between um, it was strange because it was a completely different world just looking over the wall um, if you were in a higher building at night in West Berlin and you looked out you could see that the whole of West Berlin was well lit with neon lighting and East Berlin was pitch dark. East Berlin in the 70s and 80s was more like Ireland in the 50s. Even so, Hugh McBrien was drawn to the West to get away from depressed and depressing Ireland. Yeah, well, I had to, uh, basically had to get out of Ireland in the early 80s. There was no work. There was nothing. I was, I was working selling um, car parts 
and the company closed down and they took us back on about six months later and then the same thing happened about a year later. They were going to be laying us all off. So I said, okay, this is, this is it now. I better, better do something. If I want to go away, now is the time to go away. So as I said before, I ended up in Freiburg, but quickly moved to Berlin. And uh, with the result now that uh, I don't think I could live in anywhere, any other town in Germany apart from Berlin. It's like nowhere else in, in Germany. I, I know from uh, my wife, who, who moved here from Stuttgart in 1978, um, she always says that there was, um, I don't know how you'd say it, but almost like there was a sense of like the, you joined a club or something like that when you moved to West Berlin. Yeah. And there was a sense... It was did. because that's an island, I suppose, that you'll always get that kind of a, a feeling yeah. on an island because it's limited. Yes, well, right. my wife says actually, it's, uh, you know, we lived in Utopia and, and really didn't know it because yeah. there was no crime, very little crime. Mm-hmm. Um, my first pub was actually in a, a gay area in, in Berlin, and uh, she would walk home, a 20-minute, 25-minute walk, at 3 o'clock in the morning, no fear whatsoever, you know. And that, that was a tremendous feeling, you know. You just didn't worry about uh, crime or anything like that. Of course, everybody was controlled coming into Berlin and going out of Berlin. So if you were a criminal, you just didn't bother because you'd be, you could be picked up at the border. That was the one huge thing that I do remember before the wall came down. I can confirm that you could, as a woman, um, travel around the city at any hour of the day or night and you'd never be in fear, which is great. There's few cities that you can say that about. It had everything a big city should have with the safety of the province. That's the way it was. It was great. What you did have here also, you had a lot of young people coming to Berlin either to go to university or to work here. And that way, they didn't have to do any military service. Uh, and so it became a young person's, very much a young person and an old person's society, because yeah. you had the old Berliners that were there, you know. The place where David Bowie lived during his three-year stay in Berlin in the 70s is a ten-minute walk away from where I live. The island city of West Berlin was a magnet for artists, dropouts and people such as the woman I married. Claudia lived here for over a decade before the wall came down. She had come here from sedate Stuttgart and recalls Berlin then as a place where you could be who you wanted to be. She lived here in a Wohngemeinschaft, a commune. In her early days working and training as a nurse in a hospital, she would paint images on her face, such as a blue fish across her eye and bubbles on her forehead. Neither superiors nor patients complained. It was a funky place to be, and everything encouraged people seeking alternative lifestyles to come here. There was the Berlin bonus system called the Zulager. The state paid you an extra 10% simply for living in West Berlin. Rents, for those who paid them, were very low. West Berlin was, for the most part, still quite derelict and raw. It was the place to live a vivid, provocative life. Outside the wall, 
the East was making its own fiction. As long as the wall was still there, the East Germans acted as if all the Nazis were in West Germany. And it had nothing to do with them. Like. That's right. That was their history. They yes. actually tried to rewrite history yes. for Eastern Germany. They were all freedom fighters. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it was all the others that were doing it. Yeah. And it was funny, actually, when the wall was still there, you could watch the, German, the West German news and the East German news one after the other, and they were saying exact opposite about the same situation. Yeah. 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 It was comical. Yeah. Where the East German news was basically propaganda. Yeah. As he used to say in the East, you know, we pretended to work and the government pretended to pay us, and that was the way it was. You just, just yeah, but though it wasn't all bad, um, you had more um, women um, academics in in East Germany than you ever had in the West. Um, this was partly due to the fact that they were the children were taken care of from the cradle. Literally, um, they could take their children and put them into care at four to six weeks and go back to work, and a lot of women did, and this was generally um, accepted. The other side of it was that even in the kindergarten, they were indoctrinating the children with um, communist propaganda. Um, but they wouldn't have seen it like that. Also, um, basic foodstuffs were really, really cheap. They didn't have much. But, say, things like bread, milk, sugar, rents were ridiculously low. And if you didn't have a job because either you didn't want to work or, you, you know, you didn't agree with the society, whatever it was, you were called antisocial. Yeah. And to be antisocial was a crime. Mm. So if you were... If you were, if you went up, You went into jail and that was it. Added to the fact that they weren't allowed to talk in the East. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> right. You yeah. could get into deep... Trouble yeah. very quickly uh, just by voicing your opinion. And you could see that later on talk shows here, where you'd have talk shows with West Germans and East Germans, and they just weren't able to articulate themselves because uh, you can't just say, now the walls come down, now suddenly yeah, we'll be able to um, express our opinions. Um, even to this day, I would say there's a difference between oh, yes. West Germans and uh, East Germans. East Germans also had feeling quite a lot of the time that the West Germans were behaving like, say, um, Irish people who emigrated to America and got rich and came back and looked at the families in Ireland in the, in the 60s as the poor Irish cousins, um, that the East Germans had the feeling of um, being treated that way by West Germans who were materially very well off. <laughs> The evening of Thursday, November 9th, 1989, Ireland, like the rest of the world, was electrified by the news that the border crossings of the Berlin Wall had been opened. In Berlin, as people continue to cross freely from the east, the West German Chancellor says, we are and will remain one nation. From Berlin, Maggie O'Kane. There's been a carnival atmosphere here in the city all afternoon, with brass bands playing at the walls and Westerners throwing flowers to the cars emerging at Checkpoint Charlie. At the Brandenburg Gate, thousands of East Germans stood in the walls to chant and clap. Meanwhile, the city's underground system has been jammed with Easterners heading for the shops and lights of the city centre. Actually, how I came to find out about the wall coming down was I was on my way home from the office, and I went into my... Irish pub in the Europa Centre here, which is on the main thoroughfare, and talking to my manageress, I had a few things to talk to her about, and she said to me, oh, by the way, 
my mother called me from Frankfurt and she said that uh, something with the wall coming down. And I said, look, I said, do you not think that if the wall came down that we here in Berlin wouldn't be the first to hear about it? And she says, oh yeah, I suppose you're right. So I went on home, <clears throat> sat down, I'm a bit of a news fiend, turned on the news, the wall in Berlin has come down. Oh, I thought, oh my God, this is really embarrassing. So I went straight back down and said, look, come on, we'll go up on the Kudam, Kafersen uh, on the main street, and we'll have a look. And so we came, we came up onto the main thoroughfare here, and there were hundreds of Trabants, which is the, was the equivalent of the East German Rolls-Royce, uh, two-stroke engines pump, pumping out all this uh, smoke, and thousands of East Berliners that had arrived over after the wall came down and it was an electric atmosphere I've never seen anything like it everybody was happy people were laughing joking and when you'd ask them you know well, what are you going to do oh well we just we came over just to drive up and down the Kudam just to see because everybody knew about the Kudam of course from East Berlin and I said well look let's go back down to the pub because it's obviously going to be full when we went in it was packed and all with people from East Berlin and of course our own regular customers and our regular customers were buying the people from East Berlin because a lot of them didn't have any money. Well, nobody was really sure if it was going to last. No. You know, they were kind of looking over their shoulder when they came over. Yeah. Are we going <laughs> to, is this going to close up now in a few hours or whatever? Right. But did you, I can't remember, did you go down that night? Or? I did, yeah. Well, I was, I was living in uh, Kreuzberg at the time, which is right there where the wall was. And uh, I was living in a house with a few other people and... Uh, Somebody came home and said, hey, come on, do you see, see what's going on out there? And, uh, well, I'd, I'd seen the news, and I was just waiting for a phone call. So uh, we went straight down. Anyway, myself and the two people I was living with at the time went straight down to the wall, and uh, oh, it was amazing. Mm. All these, all these, there was this big line of cars, all you could see is the headlights and these little Trabant cars. Yeah. yeah. And the, and the smell of fumes, uh, these two-stroke engines. <laughs> oh, the fumes are yeah. something else, yeah. yeah. But it was um, amazing. Just, just You'd be standing in a cloud for ten minutes yeah. after one passed you. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, yeah. But it was a great atmosphere. But it, it was. But I, as I said, it was, nobody really knew what was going on. It was all sort of... People were afraid to go in and afraid to come out a bit. And Is this going to last or is this going to be over tomorrow? It was a Thursday night. And they stayed in West Berlin, and especially here in this shopping centre. They stayed there, there till Sunday night. And then they went back. They all went back on Sunday night. 95% of them went back because they had apartments, they had job, they had family. Um, but it was amazing for the Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night. It, it was just amazing. Here in this shopping centre, I'd say there were probably about 3,000 people sleeping here every night. And uh, we had to keep the doors open to give, allow them to use the facilities and that. And, um, but it was a, an absolutely amazing weekend. It's just a good thing. Absolutely mm. wonderful atmosphere. Unfortunately, a lot of criminals came as well. I think I had my, my pocket picked twice within a period of three months. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, whereas I would never ex have expected that to happen. It wouldn't have even entered my mind before that the possibility was there that your pocket would be picked. Um, at the same time, it's understandable when people have been living in, in areas where there was nothing for so long and then they come into an area where there's plenty 
Well, there, was a, there wasn't a single coin telephone box in the whole of West Berlin that wasn't uh, broken into. Plundered. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I am now visiting another Irish pub. This time, I'm in Molly Malone's pub to meet Hugh McBrien. But I'm waylaid at the bar by another Irish musician living in Berlin, Marty Byrne. Marty wants to show me a time capsule that's part of his story of the fall of the wall. I don't think he ever believed me, actually, but this is it. It's coming to this guy, Shani O'Neill, <laughs> down in our drum, yeah? Amazing. And I had a bit of the wall in there, and that's been in there... Yeah, 19 years now, <laughs> and it still hasn't been sent. And it's, 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 it's sealed, so I won't try to open the packet. No, <laughs> so there's a real piece I, want, I just wonder, did I write anything? We'll open to see what's in it. Really? It's great. My son actually went down now. He was only eight at the time, his uncle. And they went down there slowly when the wall started coming down. And the, the police actually took the hammer off them. Oh, really? Yeah, because they were stopping people. They started to climb off the wall and not. So now you're opening this sealed packet that's been sealed for 19 with years. The, with the history of... Uh, <laughs> I know it's hard to believe, but... Well, also, and there is a note inside. There is a note. Hello, Carl. Here's a piece of the Berlin Wall. The real thing. Tell Shani to stop laughing or crying. <laughs> Hope you're all in good health. That's, that's great. So well, this is like a, a time capsule. I chipped that off. Life. I chipped that off for a hammer, so it is real, <laughs> and it belongs to Shani O'Neill. <laughs> sky, Most Tuesday evenings in Marcus Lynch's pub, Mac gives lessons to a group of Berlin guitar students who come from east and west. It was just like a, a big city opening, another big city opening up on your doorstep. Right. You know, it, it it really increased our work. It more than doubled our work actually because it was yeah yeah it was just incredible. It took a bit a bit of time for the transport system to get going between east and west and everything, but um, ah it just it's just like if you're in Dublin and a second Dublin opens up beside you. It was incredible. The wall was only down a couple of days and we did our first job over there. Uh, it was probably the wrong place to play. Uh, the people really didn't didn't really understand Irish music or anything like that, you know. And they they kind of stared at us. What's going on here, you know? <laughs> but it was around that time because I was, I'd been in Berlin for three years at that stage, and I was kind of thinking maybe I might go back to Ireland or something like that at some stage. But then after that, after I saw the way things developed over the next year or two, I just uh, decided, okay, I'm going to stay. Another U-Band trip, this time with Anne Riney. She was doing her business studies in property when the wall came down. 
She rose to become the head of the Berlin city branch of England Folkers Property Company and has been at the heart of the process of returning Jewish property to its rightful owners in East Berlin. Reunification also meant a very belated atonement. We had an exclusive um, on all the Jewish property that was reclaimed by the Jewish Claims Conference. That process, which you said lasted about five or six years? Yes. It was a process of then people establishing ownership yes. and then, as you said, for the most part selling the Most part selling it, yeah. Right. So um, they they had, had to go to all over the states, old folks' homes. I mean, it's not an easy job to trace the, the heirs and the relations of these people who had their property confiscated and probably um, were killed in concentration camps. Right. The majority of the family, and there might be one or two of them left over, and uh, it took sometimes years to trace them. In fact, the few unrenovated buildings that you would, old buildings that you would see in Prenzlauerberg, and Mitte um, are usually the ones where they haven't yet found the owner. In the years after the fall of the wall, it was boom time in Berlin. It became known as the biggest building site in the world. In those few years before boom turned to inevitable bust, there were big opportunities for entrepreneurs. Um, say, if you um, could imagine Prenzlauerberg and Mitte, which were uh, the most central areas in Berlin, um, Mitte being the original centre of the city and Prenzlauerberg um, bordering, an area bordering on it where 90% of the old buildings had been preserved um, from the Second World War. Um, during the communist regime there was very little done to any old buildings so that they were all really um, derelict. Um, there were some, say, young people living in them, but they would the living conditions would have been terrible. There would have been no heating, um, and so on. So the government declared these areas to be redevelopment areas in order to co encourage uh, contractors to come in and uh, redevelop them as quickly as possible. Um, they do this in a way that they give um, tax relief. That would have all been part of this. Eldorado for contractors. There was a kind of a, an atmosphere of um, go to Prenzlauer Bergamit to buy a house, develop it, divide it up and sell it off as individual units and become a millionaire. Yes, after the wall came down, as far as the property end, was, man would know a lot more about that, but I had the, uh, the builders uh, and that uh, coming into the pubs and uh, that was a very rough time because... Uh, it was a huge building boom. As we were saying, there was a city of a million people. No offices, um, no uh, um, living uh, quarters. Uh, everything was old because nobody owned anything, so nobody improved anything. Uh, and there was a huge building boom here, and that brought builders from Ireland, England, Portugal, yeah. uh, <clears throat> and uh, they weren't always the finest. And, of course, at the weekends, they headed for the pubs. And so we had to, here we had to have six doormen. Of course, three entrances, but we had to have six doormen uh, trying to sort them out before they could get into the place. So, as far as that end was concerned, it was a rough time for us. Right. I mean, did you, for instance, say with your music or anything like that, did you notice then that there were more Irish here, or was there more demand either for your work or that you were, you know, were you aware of it, or...? No, I didn't notice it so much. I notice it now. There's, there's a yeah. lot more Irish here now. 
<laughs> I would have said most then. of them came around um, 2003. Most of the Irish investors and people who bought property here, I would say. And it was so extreme that Irish people, and they were from everywhere now, from the tiniest village in the country people were coming over. It wasn't just um, big multi-millionaires. I suppose everybody was a millionaire then in Ireland. <laughs> and, um, but I don't think that, uh, as far as I could make out from the three of you when I talked to you, I don't think any of you consciously sort of reach out to make contact with Irish people here on a regular basis, purely on the basis of their being Irish. I mean, yeah. There is no... There was an Irish-German society here at one time. In fact, myself and my partner, we were... He was the president and I was treasure or something like that but when we opened up the pubs that died out and the meeting place then became the pubs no, I remember one year I was at the uh, at the embassy on St. Patrick's Day and I met a group of people and we spoke for maybe two hours about organising an Irish society and what we do and uh, yeah, swap telephone numbers and cards and everything and nothing ever came out of it mm. Um, for me, it's become so um, cheap to fly over back to Ireland that when I want to be with Irish people, I yeah. zap over to <laughs> Dublin or Galway or somewhere like yeah. that. Um, I've always found that um, people who, regardless of nationality, this is not anything peculiar to the Irish, when people are abroad and tend to um, set up little groups of their own um, they often don't learn the language in the country because that is an opportunity to speak your own language all the time. Um, that people have a need for it, I understand, but I think um, that it is of a disadvantage to them if um, they don't integrate into the country that they're in. Because if you learn the language, you um, learn to understand the mentality. Ich hab noch einen in Berlin Deswegen muss ich nächstens wieder hin. Die Seligkeiten vergangener Zeiten. They call New York City the city that never sleeps. I would call Berlin the city that has seen it all. Berlin was the epicenter of the 20th century. It was the capital city of a nation that sparked two world wars. It was the divided city that defined the Cold War. And when the Berlin Wall came down, it was the iconic image of the fall of communism. This city is steeped in history, even to a mundane degree. Across the road from my local supermarket is a government building the facade of which is still clearly pockmarked with bullet holes. Tourism has become hugely important to Berlin, and people come here for everything from the history tours to the wild and wide range of nightlife. Berlin's Lord Mayor, the openly and proudly gay Klaus Wovereit, described the city as poor but sexy, and so it is. And the history is so complex, there can be collisions. The wall opened on the night of November 9th, 1989. On the same night in 1938, the Nazis launched what became known as Kristallnacht, the first open attack on Jews, the first overt step leading to the Holocaust. But Germany is one again. Some still wonder if that is a marriage for better or for worse. 
I think um, it has affected the world. Uh, it's not only Germany that has been affected by reunification, but the whole of Eastern Europe has been opened to Western Europe. I think um, in, in terms of history, it's important that Europe was reunited. Um, a united Europe is always stronger than a divided one. West Germany was able to absorb the whole East and, and, and get it back on track. That's what amazes me and the amount of money that was put into it and everything and just the organisation and of course there's going to be losers along the way mm. they're the people now that are disgruntled about the, the wall being down, they'd prefer to have it back but I mean I, I still think they, they did a fantastic job Well, I would say <clears throat> the wall has come down but there's still the mental divide um, you still have the east-west divide in, 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 the, in the minds of the mm. people, you know the people the, the, you've got east and west, and the people from the east will call the people from the west to call them Wessies, and the people from the west call the people from the east Aussies. So you've already got a divide there in the minds of the people, and even though it's 20 years later, I'd say it's probably going to take another 20 years before you, you have total integration. October 3rd, 2009 the 19th anniversary of the reunification of Germany. I am in a crowd of more than 100,000 people near the Brandenburg gates to watch the spectacle of two giant puppets, the 15-metre-tall uncle and his 7.5-metre-tall niece, who have been wandering the city for the past few days, finally reunite. It is to symbolise the reunification of the nation. There is a final irony for me in the making of this documentary. A few days after recording Anne, Mac and Paddy and hearing them talk about how safe Berlin was before the wall came down, I was out for an evening stroll in my quiet neck of Berlin and was attacked by three masked young men who stabbed me. My attackers were born after reunification. Berlin is home to only 1,800 Irish people not much in a city of three and a half million. I am happy to be in that number. I am happy that Berlin and Germany reunited, despite the new scars I have acquired here. Thank you.